Open with me in your Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 to 13 is where we're going to start. Uh, very uncharacteristic of me. Uh, I will be uh, going to a number of different scripture texts, so um, catch me if you can. But we will start with um, 2 Timothy 3, 12 to 13. That will get us going here this morning. Let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. Hear God's word to you this very morning. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil men and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Thus ends the reading of God's holy inerrant word. May he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. You may be seated. Mm-mm-mm. Lord have mercy. So last week we were able to take a look at James chapter 1 and what our Heavenly Father tells us about considering or counting it all joy when we face trials of all kinds. That's what the text talks about, all different kinds of trials. Uh, And particularly, we saw that he was writing to believers, that believers have a reason to rejoice. If you want to know more about that, it's on our podcast. Please uh, go back and give it a listen. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. But I do want to mention this before we jump into our topic for this morning, and that's this. The passage we heard in James chapter 1 about counting it all joy deals with all types of suffering. And this is what I mean. Someone asked me right after the service, what about suffering that comes because I did something I probably shouldn't have done? Or what about this kind of suffering? And the beauty of James chapter 1 is it's very broad. He says trials of all kinds. So that would include uh, different types of, of, of suffering in this world. So, for instance, let me just mention a few different types of uh, reasons we suffer, right? The first reason would, because, would be because we live in a sinful and a fallen world in general. In other words, we all experience the loss of loved ones. Whether we're holy, unholy, wicked, believing, unbelieving, we all have to face that same thing because we live in a world where people die, Right? We all have to deal with the pain of broken relationships. That's a type of suffering. That one really hurts. Bodies that fail. We pray every Sunday when we ask a prayer request. Inevitably, there's, there's issues with our physical bodies. Natural disasters. War. Things like that. Then there's different. another type of suffering. is the kind of suffering that happens when people sin against us. Right? So that would be whether it's a, someone steals something from us, thieves, that's a form of suffering. Abusers, people that might abuse us. Slanders, who say bad things about us, and then it hurts our reputation, hurts maybe even our livelihood. So there's that kind of suffering that we have to deal with. And then there's the suffering that no one really uh, uh, wants to suffer, and we want to avoid. This is the kind of suffering we should be avoiding, and that's the kind of suffering we bring on our own heads. Because we keep making the same stupid choices. Or because we sin. And that's the least desirable kind of suffering for the Christian. Uh, the Apostle Peter points it, uh, puts it this way. We, we uh, looked, preached through his epistle not too long ago. In chapter 2, verse 20 of his epistle, he says, But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? 
Like, sorry, you get no credit. You get no points if you get beat up because you did something wrong. But, you know, here's the good news where James chapter 1 speaks even to that. Even when it comes to the suffering that we bring on ourselves because of our own poor or sinful choices, God can use those things to draw us back to himself. Um, I'll give you a good example of that is Psalm 119, verse 67. King David says this, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I take heed according to your word. In other words, so God can even use that stuff to get our attention, to bring us back from our waywardness, and to refocus us back. Oh, this is where I should have been all along. Lord, have mercy, forgive me. And then he used it as a loving discipline. So even that kind of suffering, God can use. But the Bible teaches that there is a particular type of suffering that only Christians know. And as a matter of fact, it's the, it's the kind of suffering that's most often spoken of, particularly in the New Testament. And that's what the Bible calls suffering for Jesus and his gospel's sake. That's a very particular, peculiar kind of suffering. It takes up a lot of space in the New Testament. So this morning we're going to address an issue that someone actually brought up to me when I asked, hey, what kind of topics would you like me to speak on? And believe it or not, someone asked, you know, talk about persecution and suffering for Christ um, and, and how God enables us to do that. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, this morning, suffering specifically for being a Christian, suffering for Jesus and his word's sake. So it's this type of suffering, by the way, that the Bible's most concerned with preparing us for Right. But it's also this type of suffering in particular that has the most wonderful promises attached to it. Out of all the suffering we could suffer, this is the one where God has some special promises about. So let's take a look at the first one. We're only looking at those two points this morning. First one is this. Jesus prepares us for the suffering we will experience because we acknowledge him and his word in this world. That's the first thing we're going to see this morning. He prepares us. Now, brothers and sisters, as I was meditating on this, I realized I need to hear this. And that means you need to hear this. Being excluded, right? I mean, how many people here enjoy being excluded? Not me. Being maligned and disrespected because we sincerely desire to live a life consistent with the gospel we say we believe in is not, listen, it's not just a possibility but a guarantee. That's what we just read. Now I'm not saying, don't hear, oh, the pastor said, no, no, I'm not saying that we will always be as persecuted as we possibly could be at all times in our lives. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Paul's not saying that. Peter's not saying that. Jesus never said that. But what the Bible actually says, and what I'm saying, is that if we actually take God's word seriously, and we strive to put it into practice, suffering for Christ will be par for the course. Speaking in golf language, which I hate golf. But in other words, it's a given. It's a fact. We all know that verse in 2 Timothy 3.12, or many of us know that by heart. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's something we need to take more seriously, especially in our world today. Now, here's the thing. Jesus 
told us to expect it. John 15, verse 20, he said, No servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, then they will persecute you also. We just saw in the text what Paul says. Paul says it's a given. And then the apostle Peter says, don't be surprised by it. Don't be shocked. 1 Peter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering as though something strange were happening to you. Look, here's the bottom line. Suffering for Jesus, and I want you to hear this because I need to hear it too, is simply a part of the normal Christian life. Nothing abnormal about it. Nothing uh, particularly striking. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the real problem is not why some pious, humble, believing people suffer, but why some don't. Isn't that powerful? That's the real problem. The real problem isn't why some Christians suffer. The, the, the question is why some don't. The consequences of desiring to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is persecution. In other words, we're going to take the hit for the one who took the ultimate hit for us on the cross to purchase our redemption. It's going to happen. And here's the thing. This, this, uh, hopefully this will strengthen you as well. It's just as much of our part, just as much of a part of our calling as believing in Him is. So you know the Bible says we are called to believe in Christ? Well, did you know the Bible says those very same people, that's you and me, are also called to suffer for Him? Uh, we find this in Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you, it's been gifted to you, on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but to suffer for Him. That's what the Bible says. Now, here's the thing. Well, I'm getting into this in such detail. Because one way that God uh, prepares us for the suffering we'll have to endure for Jesus' sake and for his gospel is by telling us from the very get-go, from the beginning of our Christian lives, that it's not a slight passive possibility, but that it will happen at least on some level if we truly take Jesus and his gospel seriously. Here's the idea. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. In other words, to be warned ahead of time is to be strengthened to bear up graciously under it when it happens. You know, nothing throws you off balance and uh, throws you into confusion as being completely blindsided does. Right? You ever in your life you've been totally blindsided by something? Man, it totally disorients you. You're like, you, you feel like, I don't know which way is up. What's going on? I didn't see it coming. You know, I always think of uh, the times in my life I'd said, man, the worst part is I didn't even see it coming. <laughs> right? But we don't have to worry about being blindsided because God's word tells us over and over again, gird up your loins because it's coming. So here's the beauty of it. Instead of making ourselves question whether we're on the right path, oh, I must be doing something wrong. You ever feel like that? You know, what's going on? Why is all this crazy stuff happening to me? You know, why is God allowed? I must be doing something wrong. And, and, or instead of making it tone down our testimony, oh, I better lay off, you know, the Jesus stuff because it's, it's causing some, some issues here. It actually gives us great assurance that we're indeed treading on the same path our blessed Lord tread and that we're right where we're supposed to be as believers in Christ. 
That's a great encouragement. Not that we go and do stupid things just to get, no, that's not persecution for Christ. Listen, I'm not talking about be a fool to be a fool. I'm talking about just taking the walking with Jesus and listening to his word, trembling at his word. Seriously. Now, here's the thing. None of us know for sure how much we'll have to suffer for the kingdom. Or why some of us seem to have to face more heat for our faith than others. But we do know that if, if you experience no resistance at all for swimming against the tide of this world and its values and its desires, then you have to ask yourself the question, am I swimming against the tide or am I simply going with the flow? I mean, that's the real question we got to ask ourselves, right? Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction. And broad is the, is the gate. And many will enter onto it. That's, that's the natural way. That's the way of man. It's going that way, the wrong way. right? But narrow is the gate that leads to life. And narrow the road that leads to life. And few there be that find it. Because it's an uphill. It's against the stream of the values you see on social media, on TV, uh, everywhere almost in our world. Now I want you to turn with me uh, to Matthew 13 for a moment. I told you I was going to turn to a number of different passages. Um, this is in a very important one, and it's powerful. In Matthew 13, uh, I think many of you know it, and we're going to read it for those who maybe aren't as familiar with it. It's when Jesus' parable of the sower. Some of you know that parable, right? Well, it has something really powerful to tell us in this connection. And I believe it's beginning in verse 3. We'll start there. Jesus is preaching to a crowd and his disciples are there. And Jesus starts this way. A farmer went out to sow his seed. And as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on the good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, stick sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. Now, I'm not preaching the whole parable. I want to focus on one thing. Later on, when, when his disciples say, Lord, what, does, what do these things mean? What are you talking about? He goes through each of the different types of soils and the different seeds. And the one he picks, I want to pick on right here, uh, pick out right here for us this morning, is the seed that went on the rocky soil. And this is how Jesus explains what happens there. He says, the, the seed that fell on the rocky soil is the one who received the seed that fell on the rocky places, is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. Right? You hear the good news of the gospel, praise the Lord, right? But since he has no root, listen, he lasts only a short time. Now here's the punchline. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Now what I want to point out is, why does trouble or persecution come? Pay attention. Because of the word. Now that's the issue, isn't it? Jesus says it is. And that's exactly what the world around us tries to shame us over, isn't it? 
It's our belief in, our submission to, and our allegiance to the word of the Lord. That's what gets us into in trouble with the world. That's what has them kick on the heat in our lives. It brings their anger, it brings their hatred, it brings verbal abuse on our heads because it comes from an unbelieving world that refuses. Listen, brothers and sisters, they're all about tolerance except for when it comes to the word of God. Then they are absolutely intolerant. And so it comes back to this, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we following the word or are we following the world? And here's the thing, all over the Bible, go to 1 John, James, we can't do both. You can't love God and the world. Can't do it. Listen, this explains why some so-called Christians never seem to earn the ire of the world. You claim to follow a Jesus who loves everyone exactly as they are and is completely fine with them staying just as they are, then who would be offended by that? If you just tell Jesus loves you, just keep doing all the wicked things you feel like, go ahead. He's fine with that. If you follow a Jesus who says all roads lead to God, and it doesn't matter which one you choose, as long as you tell your truth. So sick of hearing that one. Tell your truth. There's only one truth. There's not my truth. Your truth is truth or not. Because here's the thing. You, you can follow that person, but you ain't following the real Jesus then. You're following a God of your own making. That ain't, that ain't the Jesus in the Bible. So you follow that false God that you make up in your own mind, then you're safe from persecution in the main. No, when you take your stand for Jesus and his words of life, his words of truth, make no mistake about it, the world will try to make you uh, feel ashamed. Now listen, I, I have to give some concrete examples or this isn't going to hit hard enough. I can't tell you how many times I've heard this one. You believe that outdated, oppressive teaching about wives submit to their, your husbands? Shame on you. Did you ever feel that by the world? Shame on you. You believe sex only to be, is only to be enjoyed between one man and a woman in the bounds of holy matrimony? One of my relatives, who I love dearly and they love me dearly, said to me, you know, who are you to tell to say who can get married and who can't? And of course I said, I'm nobody, I can't say it. But God has already said it in his word. And he has the right. Because he created and designed marriage. Amen? See, my brothers and sisters in Christ, there's no debate that we need to tell the truth in love. And we need to give the reason for our hope in Christ and in his word with gentleness and respect, as Peter talks about in 1 Peter 3. But in the days in which we live, that's not the debate. The debate is not that we should do it gently or not. Today, the very truthfulness of Jesus' words are being called into question. And not just by an unbelieving world, but by some who claim to be Christians. That's a problem. 
But see, if the truth be told, that's not a new problem. They always, everybody always thinks these are so new. We're the first people to experience it. I, you know, you talk about Ecclesiastes. There's nothing new under the sun. Come on, give me something new for crying out loud. You say I'm old and I'm an antique. But you're giving me these old washed over arguments that have been since the dawn of time practically. So way back in Jesus' day, he had to say these words to his own people, not to the world. Mark 8, 38. If a man is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Why would Jesus have to say that? Because we're tempted every day when we live in the world to be ashamed. When the irony is the world should be ashamed because of their ungodliness, not us. We should be ashamed when we fall. But not because... We cling to Jesus and his truth, the truth of his word. Now, I already preached a sermon on that text. I'm not going to re-preach it again. You can go online here if you'd like. But I only refer to that to say, this is, this is something that hits me. Hits me at home here. You can't follow the Jesus who calls for his people to care for the poor, love the foreigner, and befriend sinners... And yet, at the same time, refuse to follow the Jesus who says to the woman caught in adultery, go and leave your life of sin. Or to the invalid that he healed, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse might happen to you. Did you know Jesus said that? Oh, we remember the woman of the well, but we don't remember this guy. <laughs> it's in John chapter 5, verse 14, in case you're wondering. See, the same Jesus said all those things. We can't pick and choose. The same Jesus who said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, me will go, yeah, that's right, boy. <laughs> right? Yeah, Jesus is for us, the sinners. Well, finish the sentence. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, what? To repentance. Just saying. We can re respectfully explain what the Bible means when it says Jesus is the only way to salvation. We should do so with gentleness and with compassion and with kindness. We can explain what the Bible means when it tells wives to submit to their husbands in its proper context and as gently and as loving and as winsomely as we can. But in the end, some and indeed many will hate us for it. But remember, here's the beauty in this whole thing. Ultimately, their hatred is for the Lord, right? Not for us. The Lord who saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. Praise his name. 2 Timothy 1.9. So the truth that brings heat in an evil, adulterous generation brings blessing and glory and honor to those who stand firm for Jesus' sake and his gospel's sake. Next time we're going to, or whether it's next time or the time after that, we're going to take a look at what the Bible says about how we're to respond when the world heaps its abuse on us for holding to faith in Christ and his, and his word. But this morning I want to spend the rest of our time, last few minutes together, on our last point, which is simply this. Jesus not only prepares us, for what was to come in terms of persecution, but he calls us to rejoice in the blessings we have in this world and the world to come because we suffer for him 
and his word in this world. So that's what I want to show us this next time. He calls us to rejoice in the blessings that are upon us because we suffer for his sake. So turn with me to Matthew 5 in your Bibles. Uh, Matthew 5, 10 to 12. Um, I'm going to read it quickly so you can look it up later if uh, you can't keep up with me. That's totally okay. It's Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And he says these very wonderful and surprising words. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets, uh, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Why in the world could we rejoice and be glad when people are saying evil things about us? Jesus says this is why. Because great will be your reward in heaven. Great. We get the kingdom. You know, the one that never ends. The one that's going to outlast every single kingdom that ever existed. The kingdom where righteousness dwells. And there we're only going to experience kindness and love and compassion and unity where everybody does the will of God willingly and joyfully from the heart. And it's good for everybody involved. And it brings great glory to God. That kingdom. You know, when I was a young believer, I was a lot more curious about what our promised rewards in heaven would look like. You know, but what is it gonna, what, you know, what's the reward going to look like? How's it going to reward us? I, was, I really wanted the details, right? But as I've gotten older, I honestly don't need to know the specifics anymore. Why? Because I've gotten old, tired, and disinterested? Well, the first two parts, yeah, I am old and tired, but I am not disinterested, brothers and sisters. It's not the reason. It's because if my Lord and Savior says it's going to be great, I believe him. I don't need to know the specifics because here's what I know. I know whatever he has in store is not going to disappoint me. It's going to be above and beyond what I can even imagine of how great it's going to be. Nothing, I can't even give you an analogy. It's going to be so otherworldly. That's what Jesus is talking about. So Jesus is saying, make the choice to rejoice. Why? 1 John 2.17 Because the world and its desires pass away. But the man who does the will of God will last forever. Forever. That's a long time. See, we may be despised in this temporal kingdom that will someday come to an end, but we're going to be honored in the kingdom that has no end. We may be mistreated on this present earth, but we're going to enjoy the rights and the privileges of citizenship in heaven. We don't even need paperwork. I'd say I'm sorry for quoting this uh, hymn so many times since I've been at New City, but as they, the old saying is, sorry, not sorry. Here it is. Savior, if of Zion City, I through grace a member am, 
Let the world deride or pity. I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his pompted, all his boasted pomp and show. But solid joys and lasting treasure, none but Zion's members know. You get that? They just don't know what we know. Why? Because they don't know who we know. They don't know. All right, as I come to a close, I want to say the issue is this. What's the practical thing in our everyday lives here? What's one of the main practical issues here is this. Where do you fix your eyes? What do you look at? What do you get fixated on? That's the word we like to use. You get fixated. You can't let it go. Will you be obsessed with what can be seen with the physical eyes? with the difficulties of this brief passing world, or will you keep your eyes on the prize, on the invisible realities of God's kingdom, its advance, and its eventual arrival in its fullness? So the Apostle Paul says this, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all, he was referring to our sufferings. It far outweighs them all. So in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 4, uh, he says this. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Keep your eyes on the prize, brothers and sisters, Hold on, because the kingdom's coming. Count on it. Let's pray. Father, we embrace all your words in Christ Jesus. We as your people um, are disciplined by them at times because we don't fall in line with them. And yet we know uh, they are a blessing. They purify us. They... Uh, Reveal your heart, your will, your mind. And Lord, we pray more and more that you would see if there's any wicked way in us and lead us in the way that's everlasting. And Father, we pray that in your strength and in your power, uh, that in Christ, you would enable us by your power to suffer for Jesus' sake and for his gospel. Lord, we pray that so that others as well would see your work in our lives and that that would lead them to repent of their sins and put their trust in such an awesome God who saves us by becoming one of us, dying in our place and rising from the dead. We pray it in his name, Jesus. Amen.